Morning, Church. As Royden said, I'm Sharon. I'm from the Bryanston Life Group, led by Pumlani. We meet on Wednesday evenings at 7.30. So anybody who would like to join a life group, you're welcome to join. Um, this morning's reading is taken from Hebrews 13, um, verses 7 to, 8, 7 to 18. That's Hebrews 13, 7 to 18. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which we have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. This is the word of God. Thank you to Sharon for that reading. Uh, Thank you to Pum earlier for the prayer and to Yanni for leading us. Uh, Good for us to know our leaders. As Yanni said, he is the people's warden. He's your warden. You voted for him. I'm glad to be the first to inform you of that. Um, So Yanni is our people's warden. He's available to you, as are all uh, our members of council. Pum, for his sins, is the rector's warden. Um, So, as I said, just good for us to know who our leaders are and um, to avail ourselves of them if, if we need to especially in light of uh, this morning's message. So before we get there, let me just pray for us, and then we'll come to the text. Uh, Father, we um, long to truly behold this wondrous mystery of the Word of God who took on flesh for our sakes. And um, we praise you for him. We praise you that he was obedient, even to the point of death. We praise you that um, by the blood of, by his blood, the blood of the eternal covenant, we are bound to you as your adopted sons and daughters in Christ. And Father, as always, we long to hear from you. Uh, We pray that you would equip us with everything we need. To do good, we pray that we, you would work in us by your spirit, that which is pleasing to you, that we would leave here transformed and changed people. Father, work in our midst. Don't leave us as we are. Um, 
There's nothing but desolation and desperation if you leave us to ourselves. We pray that you would be with us now and change us and break us and remake us in the image of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. I want, perhaps want is a strong word, I need to be frank with you this morning about how we relate to each other. And by we, I mean those who lead in our church and those who follow. It's not a topic I would have chosen myself because it is a little bit awkward. It's a bit embarrassing to have to talk about these things. But clearly God has chosen this topic because it's in his word. And so we better speak about it. Our passage, uh, you may have noticed our passage begins and ends, it's bookended with the theme of following in the church. And the whole passage is loosely related to that theme. If we think about it, it makes sense as a sign-off to this letter. Now remember the book of Hebrews is a letter from a pastor to his congregation. And it makes sense that this theme of following is the sign-off to that letter because this is a church that is under pressure, under the pressure of persecution. They are constantly tempted to fall away. The writer has tried in his letter to encourage and strengthen them. How? By pointing them to Jesus over and over and over again. And so it makes sense that to close his letter, he would encourage followers in this church to submit to leaders whose task it is to do exactly the same thing, to point them, the followers, to the Lord Jesus over and over and over again. The message is relevant to all of us because we are all of us followers in some context or another. And many of us are also leaders in various ministry contexts within our church family. This passage is about following the leader And that's relevant to all of us. So that's where we're going to focus this morning. In 1993, Kent Hughes, he's a respected Christian author, he did some research into church leadership and he concluded, and I quote, that pastors as a group are one of the most hurting and abused segments of society. Now, Bear in mind, Kent Hughes, if you know anything about him, he's not a soft, kind of sentimental guy. He is hardcore, old school. And he chose that word abuse in 1993, long before it was popular to label everything abuse. Pastors as a group are one of the most hurting and abused segments of society. Now, my goal in talking about this is not some sort of pity party for the clergy here in the church family. It's not that at all. And I'm not trying to guilt anyone. Also, I don't want to limit the focus to the pastors. Because this passage is about leadership in ministry much more broadly. Okay, I mention Hughes and his conclusions because the reasons he comes to those conclusions are so interesting. And I think they're still very relevant to us today, four decades later. So why is leadership any leadership in ministry, why is it so often painful? He gives three reasons. Firstly, the media, which means you are constantly comparing your local ministry leader to someone on the internet. In his day, it would have been the radio. Secondly, the corporate and consumer mentality that has entered into the church, which says 
you must always be shopping around for something bigger and better. Thirdly, Western individualism and subjectivism, which says, why should I be listening to you if I have the truth inside of me? If, if I'm going to define the truth, my own truth, I'm going to define it for myself and then live it out for myself, why do I need you? Why, why would I listen to you? Faith is a very personal, private matter. It is not for you to tell me who I am and what I should believe. Technology, consumerism, subjectivism, three powerful cultural forces fostering an anti-authority mindset that has entered into the church and I think only intensified because those three cultural forces have intensified, only intensified over the last 40 years. And because we live in Africa, where the African and the Western are like the confluence of two giant rivers of culture, I would add a fourth. Here's number four. Unrealistic and misguided expectations. If Western culture results in an individualistic, subjective rejection of the pastor's authority, African culture is prone to overrunning that authority with communal expectation. Of course, I'm not speaking from experience here. I'm merely relaying to you conversations I've had with African brothers in ministry. The pastor must be all things to all people. He must meet every material and spiritual need, be at every funeral, be available any hour of day or night. His home must always be open and accessible to everybody all the time. His job description is defined not so much by the Bible as by community expectation. If Western culture undermines the pastor's authority by giving it to the individual, African culture undermines his authority by giving it to the community. So those four forces, technology, consumerism, subjectivism, expectation, that's why leadership in ministry in our South African context can be painful. It's why pastors as a group are one of the most hurting and abused segments of society. But that's not the whole story, is it? Because that coin has another side. And there are problems on the other side, as we well know. If some pastors are abused by their people, many, many, many people are abused by their pastors. Too many pastors abuse their authority in the most shocking, appalling, and ungodly ways. Now, in the midst of all of this chaos and confusion around the authority of a pastor, what are we, the people of God, supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with the role of the, of the pastor? Because if our culture is anything to go by, then the only options for following in the church are the individual rebel or the communal bully. And the only options for leading in the church are the impotent puppet or the abusive tyrant. The Bible, God's word to us, God in his word gives us another model. And of course, it's the only model that really works. So what our passage gives us is actually a comprehensive guide to following the leader. We have instructions for the follower and we have the responsibilities of the leader. 
Let's start with instructions for the follower. Here they are, straight from the text. Remember the faithful. Guard the gospel. Obey and submit. Pray. Remember the faithful. Guard the gospel. Obey and submit. Pray. Verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The writer to the Hebrews calls his church to remember the leaders who first spoke the word of God to them. They're probably those who planted the church, established the church, but they've now either moved on or or they've died. The point is that, that they have finished their ministry faithfully. They fought the good fight. They finished the race. They kept the faith. The writer calls his people to remember them and their teaching, to consider their way of life. Imitate the faith that undergirded both the teaching and the life, both the word and the deed. Now, if you've been Christian long enough, and I I recognize we're all at different stages in our journey in this gathering. I'm sure there's some non-Christians here, people who wouldn't call themselves Christian. But if you've been Christian long enough, you will remember a leader like that. Someone whose teaching and life, whose faith, is worth calling to mind. An obvious candidate for us is Martin. He's still very much with us, thanks be to God. But his ministry as rector of this church has come and gone. And yet, we remember the word of God that he spoke from this pulpit, Sunday by Sunday, that unwavering and fierce commitment to the gospel of grace. We remember it. We can consider his way of life during that season as rector and this season now we get a picture of what it looks like to walk in the grace of God. We can imitate his faith, an unflappable trust in the goodness of God, no matter what, no matter what the situation or the circumstance. He's not my boss anymore, so flattery really isn't going to get me anywhere. (laughs) I'm not looking for a raise. I'm just saying what I think we all know to be true as we reflect on his ministry as rector and his ongoing ministry in our church. We remember all that, and it's such an encouragement to us, isn't it? We also have the great privilege of still having access to Martin. But this church, in the letter, they no longer have access to their first leaders. And so the writer is quick to reassure them, you may not have your leaders, your first leaders, but Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Church leaders come and go. Pumlani prayed it for us this morning. Today's young Mfan is tomorrow's Madala. They come and go. The one who endures, the only person who really matters, is our Lord Jesus Christ. And as long as your leaders, whether past or present, are giving you the Jesus of the Scriptures with a life to match, They can be trusted, and they should be followed. More than that, you have a key role to play in them giving you the Jesus of the Scriptures. This is not a passive exercise. Have a look at verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. That's a word to the followers in the church. Do not be led away by diverse and strange 
teachings. You want your pastor to preach Christ and him crucified. If that is not the focus, however new and exciting the teaching is, be very, very careful. We do not want to be slaves to theological fashion. We want to be servants of Christ. Now, we would normally think that it's the pastor's role to guard the gospel, and of course it is. But as I just said here, in, the, in verse 9 and in this entire passage, the writer is addressing followers in the church. Leaders must proclaim the true gospel. Followers must ensure that they are not led away by anything else. We have a joint responsibility to guard the gospel. It's ours together. It's why in this church we run Explore. We run life groups. We run PTS. We've got a whole range of other forums and groups where you can have your grounding in the gospel deepened and strengthened so that you, regardless of your age or your station in this church, you will be able to recognize a counterfeit gospel because you know the true thing so well. You will be able to resist being dragged away by strange and diverse teachings wherever they come from. And God forbid, God forbid that they come from this pulpit. But if they do, you will be able to recognize it and resist it. And you should. That's your calling. Partner with your leader in guarding the gospel. Next instruction. Obey and submit. Two dirty words in our culture. Two words that are often abused by power-hungry pastors. But there they are. As clear as day. God's instruction to followers. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. How do we avoid either just ignoring that call or answering it in unhealthy ways that enable the abuse of authority? How do we avoid either of those traps? The answer comes in what we've already looked at in verse 7. We are to consider the leader's way of life. We are to imitate their faith. But it's not a blind imitation. It's a qualified imitation. It's the kind that Paul calls for in his letter to the Corinthians. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me, not unconditionally, not without qualification. Imitate me insofar as I imitate Christ. The same is true for obedience and submission. Obey me insofar as I obey Christ. Submit to me insofar as I submit to Christ. Your first allegiance, people, is always to Christ. Always. To paraphrase the Apostle Peter, if there's any doubt, judge for yourself whether you should obey man or obey God. You are to consider your leader's way of life, their way of life in faith, and then obey them, insofar as they obey Christ. Now please, don't miss the fact 
the obvious fact, but easy to miss, that you cannot do that with an internet pastor. Christian content online or on DSTV has its place. You have to be very, very discerning, but it does have its place. I enjoy Christian content online as much as anybody. It can be so helpful and so edifying, but it can never, ever replace your local church pastor. Why? Because you just can't observe the way of life and the faith of the internet pastor. What you are getting is the Instagram version. You are getting the podcast, not the person. If your local pastor is faithfully trying to obey and submit to Jesus Christ, follow him. And I say that regardless of which local church you go to, okay? I'm not trying to preserve numbers or start a cult. Wherever you are in the world, join a local church. Submit to the authority of that local church pastor as long as they are faithful to Christ. No matter how gifted the internet guy is, you just can't see his character. You can't see his life or his faith. Final instruction to followers. Pray. Verse 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Most of the leaders I know in this church, lay leaders, full-time workers, most of our leaders desire to act honorably in all things. And in that sense, their consciences are clear. Of course, none of us, not a single leader, is without struggles. Every single one of us, to a man, to a woman, is struggling with sin in their lives. But for most of the leaders I know, the desire to act honorably in all things is there. The thing is, they are never, ever going to fulfill that desire, the desire to act honorably, without your prayer. Never. The devil is active. The flesh is weak. The world is seductive. If your leader is ever going to act honorably, to live a life worthy of her calling, to have a clear conscience, she desperately needs your prayer. As someone once said, if you want a better pastor, you can get one by praying for the one you already have. So can I ask you, are you praying for your life group leader at least once a week? Are you praying for your child's C-zone teacher, for their teen leader, or Are we too busy to worry about the spiritual formation of our children and our young people? Are you praying for the church council, for the church staff, for the wardens, for the ladies who lead various ministries in this church? Are you praying for the leadership of the Love Trust, for our crisis and care center? One Sure, fail-safe way of destroying a country, a company, an institution, a political party, a family, a local church. A sure way of destroying it is to bring down its leaders. 
We see that all around us. There is nothing the devil wants more than to bring down this local church or any local church by trapping one or two or three of its leaders in some disqualifying sin. You can be absolutely sure that right now he is scheming and plotting and actively attacking leaders in this community. And that's not a hypothetical. I have faces and names in mind. What can we do? What could we possibly do to stop him, the father of lies? What power do we possibly have? What can we do? Pray. Pray. Family, if we are not a praying church, I'm not sure we're a church at all. Please, please be praying for your leaders. So there it is. The call to us as followers is to remember the faithful, remember our faithful leaders, guard the gospel, obey and submit, pray. Question. What's going to motivate you in all of this? Well, I'm sure the motivations are many and several, but the answer in our text, the short answer in our text is, it's good for your leader. And what's good for your leader is good for you. Look at verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. If you are remembering the faithful and helping to guard the gospel and obeying and submitting to your ministry leader and praying for them, their work will be a joy. Let me be honest with you as just one leader in this church. There are people, they are in the vast minority, they're very much the exception, right? They're on the margin, but there are people, when you get the call, when you see them knocking at the door, when that email lands in your inbox, your heart just sinks. You know this is going to be just another grumble, another issue, another conflict, another complaint. This person isn't a partner. They're just a critic, a roadblock, a handbrake. They never take no for an answer. They will argue their point until you just relent because life is too short. When we train life group leaders, we remind them that in every group there's going to be one. There will always be one. That argumentative, difficult person who just doesn't understand the burdens of your leadership. What you're trying to do. The kind who only ever thinks about what they're getting out of it. Never what they can give. The kind who never partners with the leader to help others along but is just there to have their own questions answered to their satisfaction and to ride their favorite hobby horses. Painful, awkward question for all of us. Is that you? If it is, you are less of a disciple and more of a consumer. And you are making your leader's difficult task even harder. But don't despair. Don't be crushed if you're coming to the realization, oh my goodness, it's me. Because in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is actually another option. 
there's a different way to be. You can actually make your leader's job a joy. Imagine. And can I say that so many people in this church do that. I mean, speaking again as just one leader, I can say that for the most part, and I mean, again, the vast majority, for the most part, my job is an absolute joy. Why? The people of God. And the reason, well, there are people, they're just a breath of fresh air. A breath of fresh air. You see them, your heart lifts, your spirits lift. Because you know they would take a bullet for the gospel. They would take a bullet for the gospel. And if you are following Jesus, they will follow you anywhere. They'll follow you in front of a bus if you are following Christ. They've got your back. They are praying for you. And we covered those prayers. They are praying for you. That can be you. You can be that kind of person if you embrace the grace of our the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. You can be a joy to your leader. Christopher Ash, he's written a book for church members. The title of the book is The Book Your Pastor Wishes You Would Read, but is too embarrassed to ask. It's a great title. Great little book. And it's, it's actually heavily invested in our passage today, sort of structured and written out of our passage. Uh, he's commenting on verse 17. This is, this is what he writes. It is therefore in our interests to say nothing of love for the pastor that we should make their work a joy and not simply a heavy, gloomy burden. If you and I truly grasp the extent to which healthy pastoral oversight is a team effort, a two-way dynamic in which we as church members play as critical a part as our pastors, then and only then will we be urgently motivated to learn to care for them. You and I have it in our power to demotivate our pastors so that they are gradually ground down into a slough of despair. But we also have it in our power so to cheer them, so to put a spring in their step that they will gladly do for us all that we hope and pray. How much better for you, for us, how much better for our leaders and for us as a local church family if we follow in a way that brings joy to the leader. Since it's always easier to follow when you know what you are following, our passage also gives us the responsibilities of the leader. The leader's job, again, straight from the text, is to preach and live the word, to watch over your souls, and to lead with judgment in mind. Verse 7 again. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Those who spoke to you the word of God. In the words of Paul to his ministry leaders, watch your life and your doctrine, your teaching, closely. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Speak the word and live a life of faith to match. In Acts, we see something similar where the primary job of the church leader is described as 
the ministry of the word and prayer. That's so useful for us to know, isn't it? For all of us. For you to know what my main job is, what my priority is. You know what to expect of me and what to hold me to account. And I know what I have to do above all else. I think it's so helpful to all of us because I can tell you that one of the greatest temptations a ministry leader faces, your ministry leader, in whichever context, one of the greatest temptations they face is the temptation to distraction. The temptation to be pulled away from the main thing by some other very important thing. Very good thing. There are so many good important things that I can be doing with my time, but my priority has to be to preach and teach the word out of a life of personal faith in Jesus Christ. That's the number one thing. There are a thousand other good things that I can do, but that's the one I have to do, no matter what. Preach the word. Believe it for myself. Live it out. That's been our philosophy of of ministry at this church ever since it started. Lives are changed when the word of God is opened in the power of the Spirit. We are in the business of changing lives under God. Of doing the planting and the watering so that he can give the growth. How are lives changed? Lives are changed when the word of God is opened. And that can be in various contexts from this pulpit, around in a one-on-one, around the scriptures, in your life groups, just in a gospel conversation. Lives are changed when the word of God is opened in the power of the Spirit. That's the main thing. So if you are prone to thinking that a pastor's job is something else, something else good, but something else, if you're prone to placing all sorts of other expectations on your ministry leader and making those the main thing, can I ask you to stop? Because your ministry leaders love and respect you. They are going to listen to you. And, they're go- and in doing so, they're going to be tempted to abandon their primary calling to speak the word. Critical question for us this morning. What is this word? around which everything else hangs. What is this word that ministry leaders must speak day in and day out? Because clearly, there are all sorts of other strange and diverse teachings that can actually lead us away. So what is the word? We've had it all the way through the letter to the Hebrews. We have another snapshot of it in verses 9 to 16. So let me paraphrase verses 9 to 16. In short, what your ministry leader must be speaking day in, day out, is the gospel of grace. We are all of us, like the church in this letter, tempted to try and make our own way to God. We are tempted to take the way of religion, be that established religion or the latest thing, the latest fashion. Tempted to eat certain foods, offer certain sacrifices, keep certain rules, forego certain behaviors, and all of that's going to add up to an acceptable moral and religious life that we can then present to God and which he will have no choice but to accept. 
and usher us in to glory. The gospel of grace is no. That stuff, all of that stuff, it's never enough. How do we know? Because we have to keep on doing it over and over and over again. The gospel of grace says that instead of us working our way up to God, there is no other way. God has to come down to us. The Lord Jesus has come to offer the perfect once and for all sacrifice of himself, his own blood. He's gone outside the camp to the place of the unclean, to the place of the failure, the outcast, the spiritual and moral leper. He's gone outside to offer the perfect sacrifice of himself so that we who belong outside can enter in. Into God's loving, accepting presence. Into the embrace of the Father. It's a gift. It's a free gift. It's the gospel of grace. And what grace does, this free gift that we could never earn or merit, what it does when it works in our hearts, when we repent of our sin and our righteousness, by the way, because grace makes us repent of our own efforts to get to God, when we realize that we are actually outside the camp, but God has come to us there, when we experience that overwhelming love and that free gift of himself, then Grace frees us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to him in word and deed. It motivates that change. It brings that change in our lives. When the gospel of grace grips us, we will give our lives freely and joyfully to our Savior. Not because we think we can get anything in return. No, because we know without a doubt that we already have everything in him. And he's given it to us freely. That's the gospel of grace. That's the word your leader must be speaking to you day in, day out, and trusting for themselves. And they must do so, verse 17, as one who watches over your soul. The idea here is a shepherd watching over his sheep. He cares for the health and the safety of every single one. Each one must be watered and fed with what? With the word of God. Each one must be kept safe from wolves with their strange and diverse teachings. Each one is precious. He cannot lose a single one. It's in the core of his being. It's what it means to be a shepherd that he watches over his sheep. And of course, that kind of relentless, obsessive watching comes with a deep anxiety. That word watch in the original has connotations of losing sleep. Your ministry leader is losing sleep over you. I don't know if you knew that. This is how Paul tops the list of his challenges in ministry as a ministry leader. And bear in mind, those challenges included beatings, stonings, imprisonments, slander, false trials, false accusations. Here's the thing that tops the list. Apart from all other things, 
there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. See, he's watching over their souls as a a shepherd cares for his sheep. Your ministry leader's job is to watch over your soul. Do you see why you would want to do everything possible to help her succeed? Do you see why you would want to do everything in your power to make her job a joy? And let me say it again. Watching over your soul is precisely what your internet pastor will not do. He may give you the word of God faithfully now, and that's no guarantee, people. Please be discerning on the net. It's it's the wild west out there, okay? He may... He may give you the word of God faithfully and praise God if that's the case. But he can only ever know you as a subscriber, as a number, as a hit. He has no idea when you are going astray, when you are facing temptation and you need encouragement, when you are flirting with sin and you need a clear warning, when you are worn out by suffering and you need love and support. He doesn't know. But your life group leader does. Your ministry leader does. Your local church pastor does. It's his privilege, his responsibility, and hopefully his joy to watch over your soul. Finally, he exercises this responsibility knowing that he will have to give an account. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You obey and submit to one who himself must obey and submit. More than that, he will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ himself and give an account of his ministry to you. Did he proclaim the gospel of grace to you out of his own personal faith? Did he watch over your soul, making every possible effort to ensure that you are walking in step with the Spirit, in line with the truths of the gospel? Because that's his calling, and he's going to have to give an account to Christ, to the King. Can you see that no leader in his right mind would be casual about that calling? If you are going to have to give an account to Christ, if you're going to have to stand before his judgment seat, can you see that no leader in his right mind is going to dare abuse the authority, the God-given authority that has been placed in his care? Every leader in his right mind would understand this to be a calling of the utmost gravity. And he would walk carefully. so carefully in exercising his calling to lead his people. Your leader is called to preach and live the word while he watches over your soul. He's called to do it in full view of the judgment seat of Christ himself. Wouldn't you want to follow that? Wouldn't you want to follow him as he follows, insofar as he follows Christ? Wouldn't you want to make that journey a joy? 
Wouldn't you want to partner with her for the eternal health of the church? Because that's what leading and following in the church is. It's a gospel partnership. We are all of us on the journey home. And each and every single one of us has a role to play in getting there. That's the letter to the Hebrews. It took us two and a half years, but we got there. We're going to close with the closing prayer of the letter. And let's pray these words for ourselves, for us as a, as a redeemed family of servants on mission, for us as a local church. Let's really, I'll pray them out loud, but please join me. Let's pray these words for each other. From verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.